welcome back to another episode of Epic Earth. Epic Earth is a podcast for those curious about the STEM fields and the awesome, quirky, and fun experiences and research that is taking place right now. This is episode number 12, the Environmental Sustainability Ninja. So sit back, relax, enjoy the ride as we take another journey around this epic earth. How are elements distributed in a planetary body? What are our hopes? What are our dreams? What do we want to accomplish? And how do we accomplish it? We can have all the science in the world, but if it's not translated, how is that helpful? Welcome to another episode of Epic Earth. I'm Ashley Bosa, and with me I have my co-host, Brian Rosenblatt. Howdy. And uh, today we have a very special guest with us all the way from California. Um, Her name is Lauren Lynham. Hi, Lauren. Hi, how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thanks for joining us today. Doing epic. Yeah, of course. We're doing epic, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try to get that in there. Um, so Lauren just recently graduated from Chapman University this, this past December. Is that correct, Lauren? Yes, I did. Um, with a double major in environmental science and policy and economics and a certificate in applied statistical analysis. So definitely was a lot, but it was really great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds like a mouthful of, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I always stumble on all of those words every time I try and explain. (laughs) That's really awesome. Um, so she's coming to, to us with like sort of a different background, a different perspective on, on sort of the STEM fields and, um, focuses more on sort of the environmental science and policy, um, related to some of those areas around basically uh, like the STEM fields, but also just like environment in general. Um, And is it true you also just recently published in um, the research journal Water, is that correct? Yes, I did. Um, This is my first research paper, which I feel really proud to have published something while in undergrad. Um, I worked with my research advisor, Dr. Pashoda at Chapman, and we, The article was kind of based on California's droughts through the year 2100, and we took 11 of California's major rivers and looked at historical values versus projected values dependent on um, different climactic conditions and used those projections and compared them with historical values to see um, where there may be drought or flooding depending on how Earth's climate actually behaves. Wow, that's really interesting and such an important topic these days, especially for California, because you guys are really in a drought. (laughs) So yeah, it's constant. (laughs) Um, What a cool project. So that was that was an undergraduate project that you did. Is that is that right? Or was that a graduate undergrad undergrad? Cool. Wow. What a what a fantastic project to be part of as an undergrad. Thank you. Thank you. Also to be published as an undergrad. That's fantastic. Yeah, I feel so fortunate that we were able to get everything done like right before I graduated. <laughs> yeah, that helps a lot. I know uh, it's not always easy to get all your stuff done before you graduate. And then it makes it much harder once you graduate to have the motivation to continue doing the things that you did while you were while you were a student. So good job. Thank you. Um, and it sounds like you're currently waiting to hear back from some law schools. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I definitely want to go the policy route. Um, 
I don't necessarily want to be an attorney, but I do want to go through law school to have a better understanding of how law and policy are applied and developed. Um, so yeah, I'm waiting to hear back from law schools and trying, like biting my nails, trying to make my final decision. Um, so I'll be joining L1 this fall, but I'm also open to beginning professional work if you know the right opportunity comes up. But either way, I want to specialize in the intersection of environmental science and economics through um, analysis of data and, you know, application through policy. That's super cool. And such, yeah, that's really important work that you're doing. Um, you know, a lot of people that we interview, well, I guess we have a whole host of people that we interview on here, um, ranging from anywhere from research to um, policy to um, climate resilience to all sorts of different sectors, but every bit of it is is as important as the other sectors. So it's really cool to get all these different sort of backgrounds and perspectives on um, approaching sort of the sciences and the STEM fields in general. So, so we're really happy to be talking to you because you just are going to bring an awesome perspective into our field. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. And now, what makes you, you? So, um, Lauren, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are? We'd like to know who, uh, what, like, what makes you, you as a person? Um, so I think personally, um, I always try to live life to the fullest. Um, I try not to spend any day just, you know, sitting and vegging on the couch. Of course, you know, there are days when that's necessary, but I try to, you know, make something of each day, um, and I also try to allow myself to be exactly who I am. I feel like there's so much external pressure to be a certain person, to perform, to act a certain way, to look a certain way, especially in California. Um, but I've worked really hard on, you know, just letting myself be. And I feel like that's, it usually works out better. So <laughs> that's great. Um, and then career-wise, I am just so passionate about my mission. I believe that I'm capable of really, really great things. And I'm trying to, you know, live up to the motivation and passion that I hold for my field. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's an inspirational thing and ad admirable that you're, you know, you have so much passion for the things that you're doing. It's so important. And um, Brian and I have talked about this with other people on, on previous episodes, but when you have that passion and you have that drive and you're, you know, you have the ambition to do these things, it makes sort of the coursework and the schoolwork, um, all the tedious stuff that you have to go through, like much more um, tolerable maybe, or a little bit easier because you're just so passionate about it that it's easy to apply the things that you're learning to the fields that you're studying, so. Mm -hmm. It's not work anymore. It's just, you know, interesting. You feel good about doing it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so how did you get interested in your field of study? Um, or the work that you want to do? How did you get interested in that? So it's kind of a funny story. Um, in high school, I was in a class called IB Biology, which is um, the International Baccalaureate Program. Um, kind of like AP, but a little bit different. So I tried hard in high school, but not up to my potential. And, you know, I would study for tests, but didn't, you know, take anything too seriously. And within the IB biology class, we had a ecology unit and I didn't study for the test at all, but I got the highest score I've ever gotten on a test in that class. So 
which to me meant the information really sunk in. I actually really cared about it and I maybe have a talent for it. Um, so I decided to apply to one school with environmental uh, or environmental policy or science as my major. And I ended up being Chapman. And of the schools that I got into, I was like, okay, well, Chapman's my favorite. I can't not go there. So I was like, okay, like I'll give the environmental um, environmental stuff a try. And I absolutely loved it. I was so interested in every single class. And I noticed that I was the one that was always paying attention when other people, you know, were like texting on the computer or, you know, like spacing out. I was so focused in on the material and I, I loved it. So I stayed. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I feel like I have a very similar story with geology um, in that I took a class for my first degree in geology and did the best on an exam I'd ever, I got hundred percent on my exam. So wow. Um, I, yeah, I thought like, okay, I kind of like this. And then when I went back to school, I was really passionate about it. Um, Brian, do you have a story like that with physics or? I mean, I tend to never study or I used to tend to never study and would, I think I was just a very good test taker, um, which is actually kind of a bad thing. I think in hindsight, because it caused me to not dig into things that I probably should have at a younger age. Um, but I kind of settled on physics a long time ago and just stuck with it and moved around in different places. So I guess maybe it's a little different for me, but I could relate to just like the, the, tests that I would take that I would get really high marks on that I wouldn't study for. I'd be like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I could probably keep doing this. Something like that. At what point did you know that you wanted to do physics primarily? When it was probably like sophomore, junior year of high school, when I would, I decided like doing these physics problems was so much fun that I would just like sit in my room, like solve all the different kinematic uh, problems that they had in the book. Like they were just like puzzles to me. And That's it's awesome. Just awesome that you could like predict exactly where something was going to land or the velocity that it would have or the time that it would take for it to travel somewhere just by like using the numbers, you could basically tell the future. So that I think started it for me and then it just grows from there. So. That's, That's awesome. Fun. Yeah. First of all, I hate that you're one of those people that can take exams <laughs> and not study for them. <laughs> And second of all, uh, Brian, you're awesome. Um, I love <laughs> you just like sort of fell into this sort of sector. Um, yeah. Physics. That's yeah. Um, so Lauren, I realized that you just graduated from your undergrad at Chapman, but um, is there any sort of research you're working on at the moment? Um, no, I'm between projects. Um, honestly, between everything right now, I'm just trying to make my final decision on law school. Um, yeah, again, I'm still open to any jobs that are a good fit, but I'm just kind of trying to figure figure out my path right now. Yeah, I think that's okay. I think um, you're young enough, and and um, you've got you've definitely got some time to figure that out. Um, yeah, like you you have the direction. You just need you just need the platform to help you get there. So right, right. Well, and especially after you know doing all that school within three and a half years, I'm a little bit burnt out. So it's yeah. nice to just have some time to focus on personal stuff, um, and really you know feel good within myself, and then you know embark on the next adventure. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that, you know, we spend a lot of time around um, a lot of people who are successful or who are really ambitious or who are really driven. And sometimes it feels like you always have to have the next step figured out um, in your career or your, your school. Um, but I think it's an, an important thing that you just brought up in that, like, sometimes it's okay to take a step back and to sort of just take a breath and figure out what it is that you want to do next and not rush into like just the next thing. Um, mm -hmm. And you're, yeah. you're in this weird stage where like, yeah, you've been doing undergrad for three and a half, four years, but you've also just been doing school your entire life. So yeah, it's like the first time that you maybe won't be doing school anymore. It's like a super weird point in time. I feel like yeah, it's really, really weird. I'm like, <laughs> what do I do with myself all day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find fun stuff to do, but it's definitely good to have a breather. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And things will fall into place for you, for sure. Like once they, once, you know, you find out what it is you, you really want to do or where you want to go, like things will just start falling into place. So yeah, enjoy enjoy the time off while you can. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit like what is the best or most fun thing about what you did as an undergrad or what you want to do as a as a policymaker? Um, yeah, so I've always had an interest in philosophy. I actually, you know, wanted to major in philosophy at one point. But then I figured, well, you know, I don't know what I would do with that. But doing environmental work is almost like working in philosophy in itself because the work we're doing in order to um, enact policies that will you know be actually beneficial to um, the public we kind of need a paradigm shift um, kind of a shift in environmental consciousness and I feel like that is almost like studying and practicing philosophy in itself. So, you know, it's so cool to have research and data to support ideas and theories, you know, moving forward to um, have a more sustainable world. Yeah, it's really, it's an interesting connection between the two. So do you think that that shift is, that needs to happen on a global level and like across all disciplines, across all people? Do you believe that that's starting to happen at this point? Yeah, 100%. I went to a conference recently and I forget which countries it was. I don't want to say one and be wrong, but they're actually taking philosophy and um, I guess you could call it policy from indigenous communities. Hmm. And so giving um, rivers, giving mountains a personality, I guess, and treating them like an entity rather than a resource within their policy. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy because everything is interconnected. You know, maybe the river's not actually alive, but if you treat it like it is, people are gonna, you know, respect it and not just take all the resources they can from it. Yeah, that's such a like spiritual mindset. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in, in today's world, people are not very spiritual. You're just like, pumping through the things I need to get done and don't think about things like like that at all so mm -hmm. but I could totally see how that would make your relationship between your resources different if you saw them as as things like that right right and I know um 
I know Germany is having better environmental policy and I, there are other countries, but I don't want to, you know, again, name them and then be wrong, but Europe is on the right track. <laughs> so U.S. next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, that's such a cool take on it. I love the philosophy approach to sort of these, these problems and this sort of crises, if you will, that we're in at the moment. And um, I just want to ask, Lauren, do you um, or have you read a lot of Emerson or Thoreau or a lot of the philosophers um, that talk a lot about nature? I have, actually, I have. I took um, an environmental ethics course and it was really just a philosophy course. It was awesome. <laughs> I loved every second of it. Um, and it, it is really interesting to see the different ideals that different philosophers have um, suggested or practiced and kind of compare that to, you know, how people really behaved at that time coming into the U.S., you know, treating the indigenous the way they did, treating the land the way they did, um, and kind of comparing that with like what other philosophers were saying at that time. I don't know. It's an interesting contrast. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see their approaches to it. Do you have a favorite philosopher that you've read? Mm -hmm. I you know. know. They're all pretty cool. <laughs> They're all cool. And it's like, I don't necessarily choose one over the other. I don't believe one more than another. Mm -hmm. um, I think some are a bit extreme and some are too safe. So I think we need like a happy medium that's um, can be practiced within our current society. Mm -hmm. because everything is very based on economics and finance and it has to be because that is how the world has developed and I think um, basing things on just philosophy is where we're going to kind of get into um, more social social issues mm -hmm. so we do need to keep um, an element of finance and econ and everything uh, in the back of our heads just because we're not gonna get everyone on board unless we see it is profitable, which is terrible to say, but true. it's true. <laughs> yeah. um, very true. I think, yeah, a lot of environmental issues work that way. Um, definitely. You've gotta get people on board with an incentive almost to, mm -hmm. to get them to <laughs> appreciate, you know, just something that, that maybe some people just think it should become so natural, but yeah, sadly it's the world we live in. So, yeah, but it's a challenge. It's another puzzle to solve, to frame it. In, um, that's right. Yeah. You won't be out of a job, Lauren. That's for sure. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could describe your work using an analogy, uh, what would it be? Um, Okay, so we all know that medical doctors work to heal a body, but I want to be an environmental doctor to heal a planet or an ecosystem. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's actually really funny because the last person we interviewed, um, Mac, he also uh, sort of made it analogous to being a doctor. He's a hydrologist. So oh. something about you water people, you really... <laughs> Um, and then no, it's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> water is important. Um, no, that's great. That's a really great analogy. I love, I love that analogy. I think it's, it's so applicable to so many people who work in, in these fields and really, um, you know, try, are trying to conserve or preserve a lot of um, the environment that we have already. 
um, which is a difficult task. And, you know, just like a medical doctor has a difficult task of diagnosing and treating a patient, um, you certainly have a difficult task of, you know, diagnosing and treating, um, you know, these current climate and environmental issues. So yeah, super cool. Um, okay, so we, I'm going to get into sort of uh, this little segment, and um, it's a very serious question that I'm going to be asking you. Serious question. Um, so um, we normally ask uh, our, our guests um, how they would solve a scientific problem on some sort of celestial body or somewhere out in the universe. Um, and so the scientific problem I'm going to give you is how would you solve something if you were on Pluto? Okay. So if I was on Pluto, I would figure out how to stabilize Pluto's orbit. So it could be part of the solar system, solar system again, and they could never kick Pluto or our satellite Sharon out of the crew ever again. <laughs> You go, girl. I know. <laughs> like he just got like, you know, kicked out all of a sudden. He's just out yeah, there. What the heck? <laughs> That'd, be so his own That'd be really tricky to do, though, I think. I know. Yeah, from, from the physicists, it would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brian, yeah. how would you solve that problem? Oh. You'd have to apply some sort of force to Pluto to change its orbit. I'd assume if you want to bring it closer. Well, the thing that's interesting is um, like the way that the Earth and the moon orbit each other, the center of mass between the two lies within the Earth. So really, the moon just orbits around the Earth. But Pluto has these smaller satellite moons which are more comparable to its size. So they actually orbit each other. So the center of mass between the two bodies doesn't lie within one or the other. So they don't actually, one doesn't orbit the other, but they orbit a central spot in between the two of them, which is like a harder thing to even deal with. I'd assume I'm not a planetary <laughs> person, but yeah. Maybe we could have like jets attached somehow. Yeah, that would give it like a, a spin so you could have like nighttime and daytime, but then would also kind of lead it around the sun in a, you know, circular orbit. Yeah, it would take a long time to get the jets even out there to Pluto and then communicate well, on Pluto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're already there, <laughs> I guess that all that's out of the question. So <laughs> you have the necessary supplies. I think it's probably doable if you have everything you need. I'm going to start rallying that Pluto comes back into orbit. <laughs> <laughs> stand outside with signs. And see. <laughs> stand Pluto. outside um, <laughs> the White House with the big Pluto. Yeah. <laughs> we want Pluto. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's always a fun question. Um, so great answer, too. We love it. Um, okay, as part of our interviews, we like to do this other segment where um, we ask our guests to sort of describe your research to three different sets of people. Um, and uh, so you have said that you've presented at some conferences before. And can you just tell us what which conferences you've you've actually been at before? 
Yes. So I, I went to one conference, which was the American Geophysical Union. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in New Orleans. Great time. Super fun. I love the food there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was dying at every meal. It was so good. Um, but then I've also presented multiple times at Chapman. Um, yeah. Great. Okay. Well, AGU is a big deal. Um, there's a lot of people there. So if you have to present, even if you just do a poster there, you're, you're definitely presenting to a wide range of audiences. So mm-hmm. um, I want to second that food comment though, because I have the <laughs> best chicken sandwich that I've ever had in my life in New Orleans. So yeah, definitely. I tried food. gumbo for the first time and I, I think about it every day. <laughs> I'm going to go back. See, I had some of these alligator meatballs which actually I wasn't that much of a fan of. They were like kind of too like gamey for me, but um, other people liked them a lot. So there's a variety there. But I like alligator. It's pretty huh. good. I wouldn't like go for it all the time, but it was yeah. good to try it. Yeah, it was definitely good to try it. I like I like how um, <laughs> as scientists, you guys just went out on a limb trying all the food. <laughs> yeah oh yeah well every time that I have the opportunity to travel to a new spot that's like one of my main goals is to just try the foods that are there like Mm -hmm. when we went to Italy I was able to have a like a horse chicken fried horse steak and uh like horse balls and stuff like horse meatballs um things like that so I I don't know I always try to try the food in the new areas yeah good good perk to being a scientist yeah. I don't know if I could eat horse, honestly. Yeah. I know it's uh, controversial to some people, but it was really good. I, I like that. Yeah. Well, they're so strong. I feel like their meat's probably real, you know, maybe a little chewy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You'd assume that, but it wasn't as bad. The alligator is way more chewy than horse True. <laughs> <laughs> in my head. <laughs> oh Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) I love this. I love these conversations. Um, So uh, besides having a really great, um, you know, variety of food, you've been at a pretty prestigious uh, conference and and present at your school, which is awesome. And so so we like to um, sort of put you on the spot because you've had some practice with this. So we're going to ask you um, about three different sets of people, how you would describe your research. So the first group would be to an elementary class, like a fourth or fifth grade class. Okay. So if I were to describe my research to, what is that? Like nine and 10 year olds ish. Um, I would say, that I was watching water levels of rivers to guesstimate future droughts in California. Yeah. That's simple. Yeah. We like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The next group would be maybe an undergraduate or maybe um, some sort of younger person who, or like a high school um, student who, knows a little bit about your area, but is sort of outside your area of expertise. So they don't know a whole lot. Undergrad. Okay. I would say that my research was examining water levels of California's rivers to project future water flow dependent on environmental climactic conditions. Nice. 
Um, and then the last one is uh, if you were at AGU and you had a professional um, in environmental science or in hydrology come up to you, how would you present your research to them? Um, I would say that future stream flow in California is evaluated based on eight climate projection models and um, I examined its effects on water availability. Sweet. Nice. Yeah, those are awesome. Um, those are like the most concise answers we've ever gotten. And they were like, <laughs> they were perfect. <laughs> so Thank you. Stop. you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, so Lauren, I'm really interested in knowing what some of these environmental climatic conditions are that um, these models are based off of. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it, it gets a little technical. Um, it's based on what's called an RCP level, which is basically um, emissions being pumped into the air. So my research is at two different RCP levels, which is 4.5. Um, and that's kind of like an intermediate where we are now type of level and 8.5, which is, you know, getting worse uh, with time from where we are now. And so at those two different RCP levels, we have uh, subsections within that. So depending on how Earth's climate reacts to these added emissions, um, we'll have, you know, basically one of four options. Either the environment will become cooler and wetter, warmer and drier, say, you know, kind of average, or one model that's most unlike the other based on um, previous research that's been done that's just called other. Um, so one most unlike the other three. So we have those four, warm, dry, cool, wet, average, and other within RCP 4.5 and 8.5. So depending on what the Earth's climate actually looks like, um, you know, whether it's really hot and dry at the higher emission level or cooler and wetter at the, you know, standard, which, you know, where we are now, um, 4.5 emission level, we can look at the research that I've done to see the projections of drought um, based on the reality of the climate and kind of have an idea of what to expect moving forward um, as far as water availability. That's interesting. And so um, that's specific to maybe California or the Southwest United States, whether it's hot and dry or like wetter and cooler, right? Or is that, does that, is that a global effect? Um, it's hard to say. It's really hard to predict what the earth is going to do. Um, typically one would assume that it's going to be hotter and drier overall because that's what we've seen so far. And as far as, um, temperature regulation with, you know, energy coming in, getting trapped and energy coming out, um, within the atmosphere, you would, you would assume that it would get hotter, um, and therefore drier, but, there could also be um, changes that we don't expect. Like we've seen more intense storms. So that could, you know, play into it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to predict. We just kind of have to see how it goes, but you're right, it, it could be regional, the effects, or it could be global, I, I couldn't say. Right, and it's, it's not that they're exclusive of each other either. It's that both of those things could be happening simultaneously. In some areas, you might get wetter and cooler, and in other areas, you get drier and hotter. Um, mm -hmm. So is that, I mean, that, that could also- That sounds be right, yeah. 
that seems to be what's happening in some areas. So, um, cool. Well, that's a great explanation. Thank you so much for that. Um, you're yeah. doing some amazing work and, um, we're so excited to see some of the work that you're going to be doing in the future, um, after you go to law school and get to go through that fun, that fun journey. <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but it'll be good. You're going to do awesome. We're, we're going to see great things from you, Lauren. Thank um, you. So I'm going to ask you a couple more serious questions. Uh, just Please. to sort of wrap up our <laughs> wrap up our interview here. Serious question. Um, so my first serious question is, um, what's your spirit animal? Ooh, okay. I love this question. Um, I've been asked this before, actually. And I feel like I'd have to say a lion. Um, I don't know, because they're they're confident and they're like a force, you know, like you don't you don't mess with the lion. And I feel like in my career, like I no one's gonna want to mess, you know, with what I'm doing. Um, but they're also very graceful and very sweet and very loving. Um, so there's kind of two sides to it. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I could picture that for sure. You go, go, you go get them, girl. You just like go out there and dominate. And then <laughs> Thank um, you. you also seem like you have this very loving and sweet side to you as well. So <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and my last question is, is if you were a new addition to a crayon box, what color would you be and why? Oh my gosh. Uh <laughs> Or if I feel you, like I have so many answers. Yeah. <laughs> if you could just um, put one color in a crayon box, what would you be if it already exists? I don't know. What would you be? Oh, no. We have these questions back on us. Um, I feel like I would be a very bright color. Like I would be like some sort of like hot pink or like bright yellow color because I just feel like... Um, the world could just use more brightness in it. And that's such a <laughs> very idealistic, like very lovable sort of answer. But what would you be, Brian? See, I remember growing up and there was a color called mac and cheese. <laughs> and this is going back to food, I guess. But let's see, if I was to pick, like, I'm pretty hungry right now. So maybe like a ramen broth colored <laughs> I don't know yeah. maybe a little bit of spice so it's a little bit red but somewhat brown something like that yeah <laughs> I could see both of those um definitely Ashley I could see like a bright yellow for you I feel like you have a very sunny disposition and oh. Brian I feel like we've talked a lot about food so definitely mac and cheese <laughs> or ramen broth like yeah. <laughs> and um, the spicy color so <laughs> yeah you spicy <laughs> Add a little bit of spice. Um, so sriracha. Yeah. <laughs> um, my think... color would be sriracha ramen. That's what my color would be. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Like a uh, Auburn kind of. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. I think I would be. Uh, the first color that popped into my head was blue. So I'm going to stick with it. But like a kind of like aquamarine type of blue. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't really have a reason. I just feel like that that would like encapture me. I don't know. Yeah. Nothing's like, too dark. Yeah. And and aquamarine is like, it kind of related to water and, oh, probably, you know, like 
I think when people think of like really beautiful places that they want to go to, they think of like those oceans that are like very sea green or aquamarine and bright and colorful. So, okay, I got it. I got the connection. The aquamarine people associate that with places that they want to go to. And I'm going to make a future that everyone wants to be part of that's environmentally conscious and gonna, you know, stop all the pollution and all that, or some of it. Nailed so what, it. <laughs> what would the name of the color be like in the actual crayon box? Oh, environmental boy. aquamarine or something like that? Uh, maybe like, like idealistic blue. Nice. I like that. No. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That'd be awesome. I was trying to think of a name for mine. And the first, the first thing that popped into my head was armadillo yellow. Cause <laughs> I don't know why, but like, so I have this thing with like armadillos and, um, aardvarks. I don't know, maybe aardvark yellow. Cause like when I was younger, when I was really little, my dad used to say the word aardvark and it used to always make me laugh. So it's a funny word. Yellow. Yeah, it is. Right. <laughs> Still have, you ever, have you ever seen an aardvark in person? Um, no, I have not. I haven't either. I have no idea what it looks like. I'm assuming it's like a, that's the one with the shell, right? It's like an anteater, but with the shell on the outside of it. it Um, Yeah, I was picturing anteater a little bit. So that sounds right. Um, it doesn't have a shell. It's like okay. a, I don't know. It looks more like a rodent. Um, the armadillo is the one with the shell. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Um, but it's like a, I guess it's, it's not a rodent. Well, it's a mammal. It like burrows basically, but it kind of looks like it's like a cross between an anteater and an armadillo. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like if like, it's mated, like that's what they would produce, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, is but, it yeah. like smaller or bigger? It's like a, bigger I don't know type of mammal not like huge like it's more like I don't know maybe small dog size oh okay so reasonable yeah Yeah, not like huge but weird and funny (laughs) so (laughs) that's great so we have aardvark yellow sriracha ramen and or sriracha ramen broth or sriracha ramen I can't remember Uh... Sriracha ramen's fine. Okay. Yeah. And then idealistic blue. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I think these are great. <laughs> by we the way, not sponsored answer. by Crayola. Yeah. <laughs> but if this sounds good to you guys, you can put this in your crayon box. We'll, yeah. we'll take royalties for that. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Lauren, this has been such a fun interview. We're so happy that you could join us and um, tell us all about the recent the research and the awesome stuff that you're doing. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is a really great opportunity and I enjoyed talking with you guys for a bit. You did awesome. Um, before we go, is there anyone you'd like to give any shout outs to? Uh, yeah, actually, um, Dr. Piper, my research advisor, I would be completely confused and lost <laughs> in the research if it weren't for him. Um, so thank you for guiding me through it and mom and dad thank you for putting me through college (laughs) I would have never had opportunities um, like this if it weren't for Chapman so yeah I'm really grateful for the people that have supported me through everything and will hold them with me as I go forward awesome Um, well I'm sure 
they just love you as a person and know that like we do know that you're going to just do amazing, amazing things. So thank you. Yeah. It makes me feel really good to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thanks again, Lauren. And um, yeah, we hope to see you again someday and hear about um, all the amazing environmental stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Let me know. I'm definitely open to it. Great. Awesome. See you later. Bye guys. Well, that was an epic conversation. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. Tune in next time for another Epic Earth podcast. Can we start that over? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. California's calif. Let's start that over. Imagine I just like said completely the wrong thing and someone looks at my research and it's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs>